is Testimonies of Life and Related Stories, the podcast. We look forward to you being with us as we recount stories of conversion and life experiences as told by those who were there. Today's guest is Ronnie Haybauer. Back in 1995, Ronnie was led by the Lord to Borneo, where he has been on a journey discovering God's vision for neglected children. As a father to the fatherless, Ronnie has seen this vision materialise into a community named Living Waters Village, established in West Kalimantan, now a home to more than 800 people. Ronnie's book, Miracle Zone in the Jungles of Borneo, recounts this testimony of God's providence in establishing Ronnie amongst the Dayak peoples of Indonesia. But like the shared experience of many others, the COVID pandemic imposed travel restrictions and new challenges on this remote community. And not unlike those from earlier times who served in foreign conflicts and spent years away from home, Ronnie has just returned to Australia after a three-year absence from his wife Kay. In this episode, we hear of some of the testimonies encountered through this period and of God's continuing provision and grace. This was recorded live in a home setting amongst some of Ronnie's wider family of prayerful supporters. It's great to be here and great to have some fellowship with one another. So it's really cool, really good. Sometimes I will get very excited and then, of course, I raise my voice, so, but that's okay. No, right? I think we can deal with that, Ronnie. I think we're good to go. It's a live podcast recording today and I'm a little bit loud myself, uh, so I'll just adjust that. And we want, don't want to distract from your story. All this electrical paraphernalia here, all this digital media stuff, Ronnie, we're here in the name of the Lord Jesus Amen. to witness of the testimony in your life and in the life of others. So welcome, Ronnie. Thank you. And the, you physically have the microphone. Okay, well, thank you. Fantastic. Well, let's open in prayer, shall we? Father, I just want to thank you for this evening, for your wonderful presence here with us, Lord God. We've come together because of you, Lord, not because of anyone or anything else, but because of you. And we just commit this um, evening to you, and we ask you, Lord God, that you will uh, just um, help us, Lord God, to hear what you have to say, Lord God, that you will speak to us, and um, through that, Lord, that you'll cause some changes to occur in our lives, Lord. After all, we want to be more like you, Lord. We want to, Lord, be a light in this world. We want to be obedient to you, Father. So we just want to thank you, Lord God. And thank you for your word. Your word is the truth, and it is... Uh, um, uh, we just want to thank you for that, Lord God, and, and that you uh, bless us with that, Lord God, that you entrust us with it. So all glory to you, Jesus. In your wonderful name we pray. Amen. Amen. Well, great to be here and thank you everybody for coming and thank you for allowing me to come and see you guys again. It's been three years uh, since I've been here last. Uh, so three years that I haven't seen Kay kids and my grandkids. So I am, it's an absolute blessing that I can be here now. So um, lots of love from them, but also lots of love from all our children over there in Indonesia in the jungles of Borneo. There's about 820-something now, and um, so lots of love from them. Um, that is growing. Uh, lots of kids are adding, being added to our um, ministry over there. Uh, they still have come, even though COVID sort of has upset a lot of things, they still managed to sort of end up uh, coming to our place. So 
um, uh, yeah. Uh, before I get into all that, I just want to share with you, you know, sometimes I, I come across a lot of Christians who actually don't believe in miracles anymore. And I just want to share a miracle with you that, you know, really uh, occurred with us there. And that was uh, during the COVID, um, in the beginning with the COVID, of course, a lot of the, uh, go the government, they, they shut down all the factories and all the plantations and everything. And it's not like it uh, here in Australia when you were told to go home and you still got an income. In fact, I hear from a lot of, a lot of people that the, their income actually was even better during COVID than it was uh, before COVID. So, but at, at our place, if you weren't um, a government official, then you just got nothing and you just had to go home and that was it. Now over there, people are already poor. You see, and, and the poor people, they don't have a savings account or anything like that. So they live from day to day, week to week. And so when they were told to go home, that was it. And that actually meant to them that they couldn't buy any food anymore. And so they did all sorts of things in order to come, you know, to look for jobs. And so a lot of them came to our place and we employed a number of them, added a number of them to already the people that we were employing from outside so that they could feed their families. But it was only a limited amount that we could, you know, help with as well. So then we... Um, uh, then, of course, what you got is that people was looking everywhere for, for uh, work, for money. And so what, <clears throat> what happened, we bought a, a river, and on that river, uh, people were actually digging for gold. <clears throat> and as they were dig digging for gold, of course, they were using mercury in the water to, to uh, extract the, the gold out of the whatever it was. And so um, using mercury in the water is not very good. For, you know, I mean, it just killed all the fish and killed everything. And we were drawing water out of the river for our own consumption, right? We, we catch the rainwater. We have these massive uh, rainwater tanks that we build underground, and uh, that's our drinking water. So we filter that, and then we drink that. But uh, for the daily use of, of showers, toilets, cleaning, and all that, that comes out of our river. But now the river is full of this mercury stuff, so we didn't want... And I knew that my children you know, who come out of the jungle, uh, tribal people, they don't care whether the, <clears throat> the river is chocolate colour or dirty or disgusting or whatever. They're used to, you know, if you go to every village and every town there and you, you see the state of the river, all the rubbish is tossed in the river, all the sewerage is tossed in the river. And so for them to just push everything, all the sewerage away and then still brush their teeth and, you know, wherever there's no poos floating by, no big deal for them. So I knew that they didn't care whether there was mercury in the water, but I did. And so I just, I, I just brought this to the Lord and said, God, I, you know, we need to have another solution for water. What do I do? Do I, do I build more water tanks so that we can catch more rainwater? Well, that will be a huge expense. But, um, you know, if that's what we have to do, that's what we have to do. We had a creek on the property and we dammed it a little bit, but that gives us a little bit of water, but not, way, not enough. And so we started to pray, as we always do. If we have a need, we pray. And so we've been praying and praying uh, for a week, a week and a half. And then uh, a couple of my guys, one, one missionary from uh, Belgium, um, he uh, said, um, Ronnie, I, let, let me and Barnabas go and investigate on the property that we haven't set foot on yet. You know, our property is so huge that it's all hilly, hilly and valleys and all that. And it's so huge that there's a section of it that I haven't even set foot on it. I got lost twice surveying the land. So that's how big it is. So I, I didn't have any interest in that property there to do anything just yet because I've, I'm so busy with all this other stuff on the other property that we had. 
So uh, I said, well, go for it, you know, if you can find water, great, who knows what we can find. And uh, so anyway, they, they went off and at the end of the day, they came back and lo and behold, they said, you wouldn't believe it, Ronnie, but we found springs on our property. And he said, it's not in the valley, but actually on top of the hill, on top of the hill, the water is bubbling out of the ground. And I go, what? And, and they said, and so all we need to do is put a, a foot, you know, just a foot um, dam around it and then put a hose on it, a pipe, and then uh, um, get the pipe to go to our header tank, which is miles away. And, um, and, and because the header tank is lower than the hill. It wasn't like in the valley, but it was in, which meant that we didn't have to get pumps or anything like that. It was just gravity fed into our, our uh, header tanks, which then takes it to all our houses. And so, I mean, it cost me about $20,000 just to get all the piping because it was miles and miles and miles of piping because they found four springs on the property, four springs on the hills in various sections. And so we, and as a result of that, to cut a long story short, we now get 450,000 to 500,000 litres of pure, clean, fresh water every single day from these four springs. Now, how is that? I just think that is just so awesome, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And so, uh, again, you know, a lot of people say to me, um, I remember a couple of years ago, this guy says in Holland, can, you, can I see your year report? I said, sure. And uh, so he said, before we give money, we have to, we have to see the year report in order to, you know, see, you know, what money comes in, goes out and how you use your money. You're not squandering it or whatever. I said, yeah, sure, I totally understand. So they had the, the year report and they looked at it for three or four days and then they called me up and they go, can you come? I said, yes. So I came and they said, well, great year report, but something, we, we just don't understand something. And I said, what? And he says, well, there's nowhere in there where it says uh, about a savings account. I said, a savings account? What is that? And he goes, you know, a savings account where you have extra money sitting there just in case something happens, you know, that you need to, an emergency. I said, oh, no, you don't understand. I said, we, if we have an emergency or if we need money, we get on our knees, you know, and so we ask God, and God always comes through somehow, somewhere, you know, God just opens a door or whatever, and it happens. You know, with kids that need operations, you know, that cost twenty, thirty, fifty thousand dollars $50,000, I said, or with whatever, I said, it's there, eventually. And he just looked at me and he goes, oh, we, we can't live like that. And I said, well, we do. So I'm sorry. And I said, is it okay then? We don't have a savings account. He goes, oh, y yes, Ronnie, yes, yes, it's fine, it's fine. But that's the reality of it. You know, a lot of people, they, they, yeah, again, when you ask them, well, you have a problem, okay, well, have you, did you bring it to God? No, not yet. I've, I've talked to them and them and them. I said, no, yeah, but did you talk to God about it? No, no, not yet. I said, well, why not? Even the simple little things. I remember this one missionary there, and she was a great, a great missionary, and she lost her glasses one day, just reading glasses, already for a couple of days. Oh, I can't find it anywhere, and I've asked everybody. And I said to her, did you ask the Lord? Did you ask Jesus? And she goes, no. I mean, the glasses, Ronnie. I said, what? What, God can't do that? And she goes, well, yes. I said, well, then, why don't you just ask him? So I said, look, let, let's ask him. So I said, okay, Lord, it's just a simple little thing, glasses. She's lost them a couple of days, but thank you that you know exactly where they are and that she will find them because she needs them. And we said, so thank you, Lord, in Jesus' name, amen. Well, it wasn't a half an hour later, she found them. 
on top of the fridge somewhere on the back. And she was just cleaning. For, and oh, there's her glasses. There you go. So God cares for little things, big things. He cares about us, right? So we should never be surprised or never... I don't know about you, but sometimes I go to a, a place where I've got a park somewhere and there's no parking. But I always say, Lord, thank you that you've organised a parking spot for me. You know, I might have to go around a couple of times, but then all of a sudden, hey, there it is. Thank you, Lord. Remember to thank him. You know, you ask something from him then, and he gives it to you. Make sure you thank him. So anyway, so these sort of things happen. I'll share with you before I get into the word another. Um, we had a kid that turned up at our place about a year ago. His name is Julian, and uh, Julian was about seven, eight years old when uh, he got uh, actually dumped by his parents. You know, he's got parents, right, but his parents divorced, and because usually parents divorce because they want to get married again to somebody else, and so they divorce. But what that happens is the new wife or the new husband, they don't want the children from the former marriage anymore, so they just dump them. So they dump them in the jungle, and if you're a strong kid, right, a strong kid, then you'll survive. But if you're a weak kid and, and vulnerable to illness and all that, then you just die, and so what? Nobody really cares because life is cheap there, right? For us, it's really difficult to understand that, but when you don't know the Lord, you don't know the value of life, right? It's only when you become get to the Lord that you realize you know, that every human being is created in the image of God and God has got a wonderful plan and a purpose. I always say every child is created in the image of God and God has a wonderful plan and purpose for every kid. And that's not for them to be dumped in the jungle and to be left on their own and to starve to death there or whatever or to be sold off. You know, I often say you know, a lot of uh, f- uh, families and, and some, some parents are loving parents but when they're living in a jungle there and they've got a witch doctor that lords it over them, every village has their own witch doctor or two. And so they decide what happens with your little girl, not you as a parent. And so when the girl is nine or ten years old and she gets her first period, which often happens, then she's ripe for marriage. And the witch doctor will sell your little girl to an old guy who's already got three or four or five wives and he wants another virgin. And so you as a parent will get a couple of pigs in exchange for your little girl. And then you see your little girl there walking around with a fat belly like this, right? And by the time she's 20, she's already had four, five, six kids. And if you look at these girls, they look like old women by then, honestly. And they, uh, these girls are just staring in space, Right? There's no joy, there's no love, there's no life. It's just a, a, a life of abuse. And oh, it, I remember the, in the beginning when I found, saw that the first time, I just went home and I used to cry and I'd say, God, you know, what can we do? What can, what can be done? It's just so, so everywhere. You know, what can we do? And then that's when God told us to bring him in, bring him into our place. So that's what we did. But the thing was, Julian... Thankfully, he wasn't dumped in the jungle, but he was dumped with an uncle. Now, everybody's an uncle in their tribe. You know, you don't have to be a biological uncle. Everybody's an uncle. So this guy ended up with this kid, and he didn't want him either. So what he did is he, he gave him to a gold mine. There you go. Here, you can have him, you know, so he can work for you. And that was it. So now gold mines are nothing like the gold mines here in Australia where you have massive uh, machinery and safety equipment and all that sort of stuff. I remember a couple of years ago when I was when we were going from one village to another village with our medicine box and our Bibles and our backpacks and all that with the team and we're going slashing our way through from one village to another through the jungle and all of a sudden we, I saw 20 or 30 of these motorbikes 
in the jungle there under cover all this green stuff growing over it and I said to my boys what how come these motorbikes are here are they stolen or something they're hiding here and they go no dad there's a gold mine here somewhere I said a gold mine what has that got to do with the gold mine he said they dig huge holes in the ground and then from the bottom of the hole they go and tunnel everywhere or they make these tunnels and these people you know sometimes 20 30 40 people in these tunnels they collapse and then they just all are all buried alive. And so he said, all these motorbikes belong to whoever is in that tunnel. They're already buried alive because these motorbikes have been sitting here for a long time. So you want a motorbike, Dad? They're there for the picking. Nobody's going to come and get them because they're all dead. And I got, so Julian was working in one of those gold mines there. And so then he, he started to get sick, not well, because he's, his wages every day was one plate of food. Now he's eight years old, remember, eight years old. And uh, so one plate of food. And so, of course, he gets malnourished and sick and all that. And then an old guy came to work in a gold mine and he realised that this kid shouldn't be here. And so can you... He, he knew of this place, our place, and so he brought him over to our place and dumped him there at the gate. And so I remember, you know, Julian coming to our gate and here's this little kid that was frightened and dirty and scrawny and malnourished. And I just walked up to him. I just felt so sorry for him. I walked up to him and I just gave him the biggest hug ever. And I said, welcome home, mate. And he just looked really frightened at me. I think it was the first time he ever saw a white man, especially with a long nose like mine. But, um, he, but it didn't take long, I tell you what, a day or so or two days. And this kid just absolutely loved it. He just loved the food every day. He loved the, the, the kids there and the people there. And he loved school and he loved everything. He just... You couldn't shut him up. You can't shut him up now. He just talks a mile a minute, I tell you. You know, when he goes to school and he comes home every day, he goes, Dad, did you know, he said, did you know that in North Korea, the brothers and sisters there, they can't worship like us? I said, yes, I knew. I said, wow, that is just incredible. And sort of every day, you know, we, get, we have prayer meeting at 5.30. So the little ones go to the little hall and the big ones go to the big hall. And very quickly, um, uh, Julian got to know that there is this God who loves mankind, who loves him, who loves him so much, and that's why he brought him here. And he, so very quickly he understood who this Jesus was, and so he received Christ in his life. He wanted to, to receive Jesus in his life, so he did. And then uh, a number of months later, one day he comes up to me, he goes, Dad, tomorrow, he said, tomorrow I'm allowed to lead in prayer. Like every day we have a prayer meeting then, and then the, one of the little ones is, every day is a different little one who leads in prayer and with the young people as well. And so just to help them to, to um, yeah, be able to stand up in front of people for their confidence and for all sorts of things. So absolutely awesome. So he says, Dad, tomorrow I'm allowed to lead in prayer. I said, great, I'm sure you'll do a great job, uh, Julian. And he goes, but he said, um, which, which verse shall I use? I said, well, you, you ask the Lord. I mean, you're, you're leading in prayer. So he goes, yeah, yeah, yeah. So he goes away and comes back a couple of hours later. He goes, I think God wants me to share this one. You know, I said, good, great, go for it. And so the next day, you go to the meeting there with him, and then he goes up in front of all these kids, and he goes, okay, everybody up on your feet. We're going to now, we're going to, we're going to cry out to God. He said, we're going to pray for North Korea. 
We're going to pray for our brothers and sisters there. We're going to pray for the lost there. We're going to pray for the government there. We pray for the government here all the time. He said, we're going to pray for the government there. And he says, so everybody, come on, raise your voices now. So these are all kids, you know, from, uh, from 3 till 12. And they're all raising their voices. And God, just come and sweep over the North Korean and touch our brothers and sisters and all the people there. And, wow, I'm just looking at this kid, you know, and getting goosebumps. And I'm thinking... Not that long ago, this kid was in a gold mine. Nobody cared about him. Well, somebody did, obviously. You know, and and I thought, God, just look at him now. This is a little evangelist here in the making. And uh, And I just thought, God, you're just so amazing, you know. Thank you that you've called us so many years ago. And, and to come here and to make this place in the middle of nowhere so that all these children and young people can come here to be loved and cared for and nurtured and introduced to you. How awesome is that? So I, not just us, but, but the body of Christ. And I want to thank you guys as well because you guys pray for us regularly. I want to thank you for that. You guys send us funds uh, occasionally and I want to thank you for that. You know, I want you to realize that your input is actually making a difference over there. And I know you're doing a lot of other things around the place, but I'm so grateful that you're also imparting in that place over there. So thank you on behalf of everybody over there for what you're doing here. So I just never want you to think, you know, oh, yeah, yeah, we'll, we'll just pray and, yeah, okay, let's get it over and done with or whatever. I'm not sure. But, I mean, just realize the power in prayer. Just realize that souls are being saved as a result of your input. So really, really important. Amen? Amen. You know, the world is turning upside down. Well, it's turned upside down the last couple of years. I don't know about here so much. I still believe that compared to the rest of the world, Australia's been living in a bit of a bubble here. Uh, you know, even though you've had your COVID uh, torture here as well. Uh, but over there, like I said, over there, it's a different ball game. I think we've had more people die of starvation than die of COVID because they can't eat there because of COVID, right? We, when The first year when COVID happened, you know, we had all sorts of people die around us and everywhere, but we, we didn't have COVID at our place. I got COVID, the, um, one of the first ones, but I wasn't at the village. I was away somewhere else. And But... Then when I got back, there was no COVID at our place. Eventually, the authorities came to our, our village and they said, you need to shut down. You tell all the families here that are on the property to go to their houses on the property and go in isolation. I said, what for? And they said, because of COVID. I said, we don't have COVID here, so we're not doing that. So go away. And they go, no, you have to. Your families can stay together on the property in their houses. I said, so families can stay all together? And they said, yes. I said, good, because we're one big family here and we're not doing that. I said, we don't have COVID here and we're not going to shut down like you asked. I'll be careful who we let in and we'll be careful who we let out. I said, but we're not going into isolation and we're not doing that. I said, I've got all these kids here. They don't understand any of that. And so um, we still kept on coming together to worship, coming together to pray. And uh, our school stayed open because, well, whether we all come together in the big auditorium or outside, well, I might as well go to school. So um, our schools remained open. Our teachers continued to teach and all that. And uh, it was fantastic, you know. And uh, But then they said to us, you, you, you need to wear masks. I said, no, we're not, we're not doing masks. I said, we're not doing masks. And they go, you, you must. I said, look, mate, really? I said, the tribal kids, right, when they come in, you know, they've never wore an underpants in their life before. And so I'm teaching them to wear underwear. So every day I go, uh, have you got your underpants on? 
No, I said, go back to, to your bedroom and go and get your underpants. I haven't got any more. They're all flushed down the toilet or whatever. You know, so underpants don't work. I said, so you're telling me now that I've got to now arrange for them to wear a mask? I said, they can't even put an underpants on. So I'm not, that's not going to work. You know, so no mask. We're not doing masks. And then they said, but you have to, you know, do social distancing, you know, keep your distance. <laughs> so I, I said, okay, well, we'll see what we can do. And so the first day when we did social distancing, I said, the kids came up and every day they come for a cuddle. And all of a sudden I had to say, sorry, no more cuddles. And they go, why? I said, because of COVID. What's that, Dad? What's that? I said, the, uh, you know, a virus. Well, what's a virus? I said, bugs. Everywhere bugs. And they go, where? Where are the bugs? I said, no, you can't see them. They're just there. And they said, you don't love us anymore. You don't want to cuddle us anymore. I said, yes, I do. Come here. Cuddle. Forget it. We're not doing this social distance. It doesn't work. So we didn't. So that didn't work. But, you know... Then uh, after a year, right, then the government came, uh, the authorities came and said, look, all teachers around Indonesia all have to be vaccinated. So your teachers as well. I said, okay, well, I'll share it with them. You know, so we, uh, I said, okay, well, if you want to keep on teaching, apparently you're not allowed to teach anymore if you're not vaccinated. So there you go. So they all got vaccinated and they all went out to get vaccinated. And of course, after a couple of days, who got sick? They got sick with COVID. And so I'm not sure whether it's a vaccination or whether they went to the place where they got vaccinated, but anyway, they got it. And so we had about 150 young people then got uh, COVID. But we didn't worry, fear. We just said, okay, go, go to your own place and we'll look after you. We're not putting anybody in isolation. I said, so some got sick two days, four days, six days, but everybody got over it, except for one lady. One of our lady, Yolanda, and I've often put her in my newsletter, and she, uh, she's a kidney patient, so she flushes her kidneys five times a day. So we wanted to make sure that she wasn't going to get COVID. So we made sure that she was basically, you know, in isolation. But anyway, she got it. She got it, and then she really got sick. And then she couldn't eat and drink anymore. And kidney patients, they need to eat and drink in order to balance their, you know, their everything in their body in regards to their kidneys. And so uh, then she fell into a coma. And we're all praying for her. And then, of course, we had to report her to the government because when they're in a situation like that, then it, it becomes urgent and we had to report her to the government or else. And so that, she was taken off to uh, um, a hospital, which is not a good thing because most hospitals over there, if you want to get sick, that's where you go to, right? That's the sort of thing. Anyway, she was put in isolation in her own uh, uh, room uh, like all the others. Now... After a couple of number of weeks, all the patients on that ward, they all died. All the kidney patients, heart patients, they all died of COVID, so-called. I, I don't really know. But anyway, but she was still in a coma. And the doctor said to us, go and get her funeral clothes because she's not going to make it. She's going to die as well because it's impossible for her to sort of come out of it and, you know, still live with kidneys like that. So, okay. So, um, um, and then uh, when... Um, uh, the husband came home to us and said to his two kids, uh, Marcel, my grandkids, and Marcel and Michelle, you know, you, are, um, you, you know, mum's probably not going to make it. And then the son, Marcel, he's 15, he said, you know, dad, where is your faith? You, I do not receive that at all. I am not going to accept that. Mum's not going to die. And so where is your faith? How dare you say that? And so just at the same time, somebody in Singapore 
um, reported to one of our missionaries in Singapore who had to go home because of COVID and wasn't allowed to come back because of COVID. Um, she received a message from somebody in her church. Um, just wanna, uh, the Lord just told me that Yolanda is not going to die, but she's going to live as a result of her son's faith. Has she got sons? They said, has she got a son? And then Jenny said, yes, yeah, she's got a son. Right? And anyway, so this would just happen at the same time. So what happened was she gets out of her coma and the Muslim doctor, he said, you know, I don't get this. Everybody dies on this ward except for you again. Right? It wasn't the first time that she ended up in hospital there, almost dead. And he said, you again. And she goes, doctor, you know Jesus is in me and he isn't finished with me obviously yet. So I'm going home. He goes, yeah, 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 okay, off you go. But he rings her up now. Muslim doctor rings her up now and says to her, Yolanda, can you just, I've got this, this uh, um, kidney patient on the line and they want to commit suicide. Can you please share your testimony about this Jesus of yours and give him some hope, will you? You know? And I said, I said to Yolanda, see, God isn't finished with you yet. He's obviously got, uh, you know, um, a lot of work for you still to do. So how amazing is that? You know, but through all that, as we can see in the world today, Wars have started up that I can't explain, you know, how on earth can this happen in 2022, but it still, it happens. You know, we're blasting people there in the Ukraine and we're, and we're sitting there in the lounge room with a cup of coffee and we're watching this whole thing just unfold there and nobody seems to be able to do anything, you know, and I just think this is just such a crazy world today. So many things are happening. We just had this COVID and it's still not finished, you know, there's still... Yeah, I've, uh, I've come across so many people who don't want this COVID to go away because they benefit too much from it, right? Their, their business their business is thriving as a result of COVID. So absolutely crazy world that we live in. But um, what, what uh, upsets me uh, probably a lot is that I've just recently been to Holland and to Belgium and to UK, and there I found that a lot of churches were... Uh, very fearful of everything. And I see that a lot of people are so afraid of this COVID stuff, right? So fearful that they actually are even paralyzed by it, right? That they can't even function properly anymore. It's just really shocking, you know, and, um, and, and we're allowing things to happen that are just so inhumane, if you, are, if you can. I'll, I'll give you an example. In Belgium, there was a couple there. They were married for 60 years, both had COVID, both were isolated in this special hospital that they had to go to on the ground floor. So the husband was isolated and the wife was isolated. 60 years married and the husband kept on saying, please let me stay with my wife. You know, we both got COVID, so let me stay with my wife. I do not want her to die on her own. Please let me be with my wife. Anyway, they had a big window in front of their bedroom, in, in the room where they were staying, and they could see the kids and the grandkids outside and they were waving and all that. But he made a note and he goes, tell them I want to be with mum. You know, I want to be with mum together. Anyway, they wouldn't let him because of the rules. The rules were made up. You couldn't stay together. You were, had to be isolated. Anyway, eventually she dies. And then he finds out that she died. And he, he was just so upset, so grief-stricken that his wife died on her own. And he eventually died as well. But he, it was just so, so sad. I got so upset with that. 
I go, how can you be so stupid and so inhumane that you don't even care about, you know, they've both got COVID. They've both been married for 60 years. For goodness sake, let them, let them stay together. Let them sleep in the same bed. Let them cuddle one another. Let them hold each other or whatever, you know. How is it possible just because we've set up some rules that we have to, you know, that we have to abide by this? This is just so inhumane, you know. And, um, but unfortunately, the rules are the rules, they say. Right, and, and through that, I've seen nothing but fear, fear and fear. I come to churches there, and I tell you what, some of the Dutch churches that I went there, I, I walked in there, and you could just cut the atmosphere there. It was so bad. Why? Because there were two groups of people. Ones, the vaccinated ones were sitting on the left, and the unvaccinated ones were sitting on the right. And these two groups, they did not like each other. In fact, they really disliked each other. In other words, almost hated each other because they didn't agree with each other's opinion. And so they were so upset with each other. How dare you get vaccinated? Where's your faith? And the other ones, how dare you da don't get ex uh, vaccinated? You know, don't you care for other people? And so on. And this went on. Before I started to preach, I said to them, you know, I, I sense this incredible dislikeness for each other. I said, but you need to sort this out. This is not love one another. How many times did Jesus say to us, love one another? How many times did the disciples tell us to love one another? He didn't say that for nothing. To love one another. What? When we all agree in the same things, then we can love each other? I said, and people say to me, you know, oh, I can't wait until this all blows over and then it's all done, done with. I said, you really think this is going to be done with? I said, you really, if you think that this is done with the wars and the COVID and all this sort of stuff, I said, you need to read Revelation again. I said, this is going to blow over and something else is going to come up and it's only going to get worse. If we can't get it together now, love one another now, what are we going to be like later on? Surely. And oh, they look, people looked really upset to me. And afterwards, one guy <coughs> yelled out to me, he said, so are you vaccinated, Brother Habur? And I said, well, if I wasn't vaccinated, I wouldn't be standing here because they wouldn't let you on the, on the flight. Now they do, but, I mean, a couple of years ago they didn't. So I had to. In order for me to do God's work, I had to get vaccinated or stay at home and isolate myself. No, i got work to do. And But I said to people, look, our God is much bigger than any vaccination or any COVID that's ever going to be around. Much bigger than that. You see, so... It's so important that we realize then that, hey, if we're to, we're, we are to remain a light in this world. COVID or no COVID, wars or no wars, we're still to be a light in this world. A light that shines, right? So that people can see that, you know, that there is a way to this God who created us. So that's why it's so important that we don't get so hung up about whether you're vaccinated or not vaccinated. Up to you what you want to do. But then don't make the other group just feel, you know, I'm not talking, I'm, you guys are not like that. I'm talking about other people, of course. But, you know, it's so important that we, that we still love one another, love one another. And we're here for a reason, for a purpose, you know. What I found is that people are so fearful, become so fearful, they became so paralyzed, can't do anything anymore. That is not of God. That is of the enemy, definitely. Because we're still supposed to be a light in this world, right? So f fear is, is not healthy. Now, now, there's healthy fear, people say, you know, but that's a different fear. That's not what fear, what I'm meaning with this fear, that you can't function anymore, that you can't come out of your house anymore because you just don't know what's going to happen. 
You know, that I hear that a lot of people still don't come to church because what if? Well, what if? Well, anything could happen any day, every time. I always say, if you don't want to take risks, then don't become a Christian. Don't become a follower of Jesus if you don't want to take risks. I mean, even Jesus took a lot of risks. The disciples took risks, right? So, we're, we're, you know, and, and so that was one thing. The other thing that I've discovered also was that there, it, it, it zapped the joy out of them. There was no joy in them anymore. They seemed to be so worried and so upset with people and it, the, there was no joy. And yet in Nehemiah chapter 10 verse 8 uh, or 8 verse 10, it says the joy of the Lord is my strength. The joy of the Lord is my strength. We want to be strong. Okay, well, the joy of the Lord, receive that joy of God. Now, I'm not saying, you know, fake joy, real joy. You know, and I realize that somebody who's, who's already who's already lost uh, their partner or their family member on, of COVID or whatever, of course it can't be joyful. They're grieving. I know what grieving is. I've lost my first wife in a car accident, so I know what grieving is. You have to go through a period of grief, you know, and everybody goes through it differently. My kids went through it differently than me. But you have to allow each other to go through grieving. But eventually you've got to get out of that. You know, I said to my kids, you know, we're not going to stay here in this pit and feel sorry for ourselves. Why it's happened, I don't know. But I know that God has got a plan and a purpose for us. And it's not to sit here and wallow in our self-pity anymore. You know, we've got to get out of this. And so eventually we did, each in their own pace, but we eventually did. And so it's important that we, that we you know... When we say that we we have the joy of the Lord, well, then let it be real joy. I, I come across people as well that have that fake joy, you know, put on joy. That's not what God means. God means the real joy, you know. And uh, I think John chapter 15 verse 11 says, talks about, you know, that um, that God imparts joy within us, you know, and, and enjoys us having that joy. So, uh, and that needs to that re needs to remain. It doesn't matter whether there's COVID or no COVID, wars or no wars, or dramas or whatever is ha happening in your life. You know, you need to understand that this joy is free of charge. God gives it to us for a reason, for a purpose. So, and in the midst of it all, we are still to preach the gospel. Matthew 28, verse 19 and 20, go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen? So in, in the midst of all that, we still have to do that. We still have to go out and we still have to shine for the Lord Jesus so that people can see, even in this world where there seems to be no hope for a lot of people, there is always hope. And that's so important that we continue to do that and uh, don't stop doing that. And, um, you know, so like I said, there's always a risk in following Jesus. He actually sometimes broke the rules. We have to break the rules. You know, don't say now that Ronnie said that you can break the rules. I didn't say that. But sometimes we have to not go along with the rules and continue to do what we believe is right, regardless of what somebody else says. And I'll give you a couple of examples. Jesus did exactly that, exactly. This is a, a, a verse, you, you'll know it all, but God showed me, revealed to me something really, really um, amazing uh, through this at one stage. And it's here in Luke chapter 8, verse 43. Uh, it says this, And a woman was there who had been subject to bleeding for 12 years, but no one could heal her. She came up behind him and touched behind Jesus and touched the edge of his cloak, and immediately her bleeding stopped. Who touched me, Jesus asked. And when they all denied it, Peter said, Master, the people are 
crowding and pressing against you. But Jesus said, no, someone touched me. I know that power has gone out from me. Then the woman, seeing that she could not go unnoticed, came trembling and fell at his feet. In the presence of all the people, she told why she had touched him and how she had been instantly healed. And then he said to her daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace. Now, I've read this hundreds of times. And all of a sudden, I something popped out and I thought Jesus why did you say who touched me as if he didn't know of course he knew who touched her him you know he's Jesus right but I just realized he didn't say it for his own benefit he said it actually for his disciples benefit and the people that were crowding around he said it for them in other words what he was saying guys hang on a minute pay attention now to what is about to unfold right and then Peter says uh who's touched you Hello, I mean, that's my interpretation now. Hello, Jesus, who touched you? Come on. I mean, everybody's pushing and pressing against you. And he goes, no, somebody deliberately touched me because I felt power going out from me. So the lady then understood that she, you know, he knew who, that uh, she had touched him. So then it says here, she came forward trembling. Now, I thought always she was trembling because of Jesus, but she wasn't trembling because of Jesus. She was trembling because she knew that this could turn very ugly right now because she knew that she wasn't supposed to be there. She was unclean. She was supposed to be in quarantine, and yet she was there in this crowd, right, bleeding and going to Jesus, and then, you know, and then so she goes and falls at his feet on her knees and then she shares her testimony she was so fearful because she knew that this you know if I share my testimony these people are going to be so upset with me right and and could who knows where this will end but as she shared this all of a sudden you know I'm, I, it doesn't say that here but I'm sure the people will go what you know you you've been bleeding for 12 years what are you doing here you're not supposed to be here you're supposed to be in quarantine you're unclean Right? Because of the law says, the law says in Leviticus 15, 19, you know, that uh, any un uh, um, uh, woman who has a menstrual period has to uh, stay in uh, quarantine for X amount of days. Mm -hmm. And then it says, and, and anybody touching her also has to stay in quarantine, has to go, is unclean until the evening. So she shares there that she's been bleeding for 12 years, which the people heard that, and then, and then she says, and I, I touched him. I, I got healed, but I touched him. So he was supposed to go in quarantine as well because the law says so. The law. That's why Jesus often said to the Pharisees and the, uh, Pharisees and the Sadducees, you hypocrites. He said, if, uh, if an animal falls in the pit there on the Sabbath, you get him out. But if I, I heal a, a brother or a sister on the Sabbath, you're ready to kill me. What's more important? The law or somebody who is in great need Jesus wanted to emphasize of course there's somebody who's in great need hello yes we've got the law and yes we've got rules but here is a, a brother or a sister in great need who needs help and so he um, emphasized that very quickly another one is in chapter 5 and you know this one very well as well in Luke chapter 5 verse 12 I think it is uh, and it says here, while Jesus was in one of the towns, a man came along who was covered with leprosy. And when he saw Jesus, he fell with his face to the ground and begged him, Lord, if you are willing, you can make me clean. And Jesus reached out his hand and touched the man. I'm willing, he said, be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him. 
He was a leper. He had no rights. He was, he was in the eyes of people, disgusting, filthy, dirty, smelly. And if he came too close to people, they'd start to pick up stones and threw it at him. Often they would have a cowbell around them. That we, they could hear them coming from a distance. And they'd throw stones and go away, you unclean person, right? Or unclean animal. They were, they were worse than animals. And so here this, this leper comes to Jesus and he says, if, if you are willing, you can heal me. Now, I don't read anywhere in here that Jesus says, ah, social distance, six feet. Don't you come any closer now, you're unclean. I don't read that anywhere here. Well, what, did, what did Jesus do? Something against the law. He went over and touched him and then healed him, praise God. But he touched him. So those people who saw this also would have said, the law, how dare you? Oh my goodness, Jesus did that, broke the law. Well, he did had compassion was more important than the law isn't that amazing you know it reminds me of some some of the kids that come to our place we had about four or five come a couple of years ago and and they're about seven eight nine years old and they, and they looked dirty they smelled terrible and uh, this one girl she had uh silly was her name and she had this bunch of hair there and I'm looking at it and I'm thinking what can I see well her whole hair was moving <laughs> and when I came closer her hair was just riddled with head lice just covered in head and you could see the pus coming through her hair because of all the wounds there and I thought the poor kid so I went over to her and I gave the cuddle I said welcome home Sally you're home now and she looked at me you know and then people said afterwards to me all sorts of people said afterwards to me to me you know, Ronnie, weren't you afraid that you were going to get some head lice over jumping over to you? I said, was I afraid? I said, oh, look, I've had head lice, body lice, scabies. I've had the lot cuddling these kids. I said, but I'm still around. I said, but you know, I think you're forgetting something. I said, my Jesus went to the cross for me. He was whipped, beaten, you know, um, and, and whipped to smithereens and then nailed to the cross. I think that's a little bit worse than getting a couple of fleas over. <laughs> really? But well, you know what? That kid, that girl, Sally, she will never, ever, ever forget that cuddle that she got that day. Guaranteed. You know, I don't understand people sometimes. If we say we're Christians, the, the word Christian literally means little Christ, meaning a mirror image of Jesus, an ambassador for Jesus. We're to be like him. Well, we've just shown you a couple of examples, and there are plenty more there, of how he treated people. Were more important to him than all the rules and regulations that the people had set up or the, 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 the leaders of Israel had set up. And that's why Jesus came, to say, you got it all wrong, people. Yes, we've got the law, we're not here to break the law, but there are instances where it is more important to, to have compassion on somebody than to follow the law. But that's for us all today as well. Now, I know, I know that, you know, we have laws here as well. And we, I got laws in my village, right? So I don't say, you know, break all the laws. And Paroni says, you know, you can do whatever you like. You don't have to follow the rules. No, I didn't say that. But there are instances where you have to. I'll give you an example. Can I still have another example? 
You know, every Friday night we fast. So we don't have a meal. And um, so all the kids and everybody come together in the big auditorium. And we, instead of eating, we pray. You know, we pray for all sorts of issue, issues. Now, so that means 900 meals I don't have to cook. We don't have to cook and prepare. 900 meals, that's a lot of food, right? Try and imagine 900 meals. We do three times a day, we have, you know, 900 meals. So that's a lot of food, a lot of food. I use now 10,000 kilos of rice a month, 24,000 eggs we use a month, a couple of thousand liters of cooking oil, coffee, tea, biscuits. You know, we've got our own vegetables, we've got our own fruit now, you know, and all that. But it's so much, you know, enormous amounts of food. But so 900 meals I don't have to cook because we're fasting. And now, so there's a lot of money that I can save from that 900 meals, right? But we don't put that back into the ministry. We actually do something in the community with that. And I get my kids all involved in this community work. I want you to find out who is in need. And there are so many needy people uh, at our place. You know? And um, so I want them to learn that sometimes to give up something hurts. They love their food, I tell you. They love their They know very well what it's like to have one meal a day before they came to our place. Now they've got three meals a day. So they're giving up one meal, okay. Now what we do, we still have a little, little bread roll, just a plain bread roll and a cup of tea before they go to bed. So they've got something in their stomach, but they don't get a, a meal, right, a hot meal. And so... Um, uh, and, and the money then we use for whatever project. So I'll give you an example where uh, recently we, this lady that, that ended up uh, going to hospital because her leg was completely rotted away from uh, uh, diabetes neglect. So completely rotted away and needed to be amputated because otherwise she was going to die. So she goes to the hospital there and then says, G'day. She didn't say g'day, but uh, she says, uh, um, the hospital says, um, uh, do you have money? And she goes, no. Well, go away. We can't help you. So she went. And, of course, we found out about it because she would have died. So with the money that we saved from that food, we were able to give her an operation. And so to amputate her leg, foot, and uh, now she's as happy as Larry, alive, and she's, you know, thinks it's awesome. So, and so things like that we do. Now, there was a Friday when we got together, I just found out something really disturbing that afternoon. Now, I also have to tell you, I've got um, storages, storage houses, storage rooms in my in our, our thing on now, because I, I tried to get two months' worth of supply of non-perishable foods in storage. Because, you know, I, I can't just ring up the, the shop or the wholesaler and say, hello, can you bring me a truckload of uh, rice uh, tomorrow or next week? Because it just won't come. Sometimes it takes two weeks, one month, two months to get to us. So I always have to have enough supply. So non-perishable foods, or, uh, they I get, have that in storage, usually two months of, two months' worth. So I said to the kids then when I got there on the Friday and we're fasting, we're praying, and I said, you know, you know, isn't God great? I said, every day we have three meals a day, Friday's two meals. I said, but God has just looked after us every single day, even during this COVID period. This was the first year when we were, we didn't have COVID at our place yet. And I said, so how awesome is that? I said, and we got these storage houses full of food. Wonderful, absolutely wonderful how God is looking after us. I said, but you know what? Today I heard something very disturbing. I said, the next village down the road, I heard that people are starving. They haven't eaten for a week. And they've got families, kids. They haven't eaten because of COVID, because they can't find a job and they've got no money and no food, therefore. I said, tell me, 
what do you think Jesus would do in a situation like this? I knew what I was going to do, but I wanted my kids to learn something. And a lot of hands went up and they go, Dad, Jesus would definitely go and feed them. You know, get the food here and go and feed them. And I said, I reckon so too. I said, but we have a dilemma. We're not supposed to get off the property. You know, one or two people can, but not a truckload of people, you know, with all the goods. I said, if the police will get, find that out, if they're out there looking for, you know, suspects or whatever, I said, they could find us, they can confiscate our truck, or they, worse, we could get COVID ourselves by going to those people there. So what do you think Jesus would do in a situation like this? And the whole, a lot of hands went up and they go, Jesus would definitely go and bring it to them anyway, Dad. And I said, I reckon so too. I said, well, who would like to volunteer? And a lot of young people put up their hands and we got about 50 volunteers and we made all these bags of food for a month's supply of rice and vegetables out of our garden and uh, cooking oil and coffee tea and all the stuff that, that, that families need. And some bags were bigger than others because some families had two kids, four kids, six kids. Sometimes it was just grandma grandpa on their own and stuff like that. So, And then got out of the gate, looked to the left, looked to the right. Nope, nobody there. And we took off there to the village and brought all this food to all these people. 90% of the people were not Christian, were from some other religion, and they just absolutely were baffled that we came there with all this food. And um, my, my guys then said, my young people, are we allowed to pray with you? And they go, but we're not Christian. And they said, yeah, we know, but Jesus still loves you. And they said, well, yeah, go for it. Right? There was one guy, he says, no, I don't want your stuff. No, you're Christians. We're not Christian. We don't need your help. And I said, okay, well, sorry, you know, just asking. But the others, all the others, they, they received it. This one guy, he came the next day at the gate and he goes, I've changed my mind, I, I'll have it. And they, we said, well, we already gave it away to somebody else, but we still got some for you. So anyway, but when they all came back, all our guys came back and I said, well, I am so proud of you. You broke the law. And they go, what? I said, yeah, you broke the law. I said, but it's okay. This one is okay. Don't break any other laws, but this one is okay because you helped somebody over there. You helped them to survive, to not die of starvation, right? And Jesus is very, very proud of you as well, right? So, you know, all of us, I don't know about you. That's why I say here it's a little bit different because we live so far away from everything. We're so well off here. We're so... Now, although there is a great need here as well with a lot of people, but it's a different great need. And then, you know, I, sometimes I hear the complaint, the complaint of some of the Christians here, and I think, oh my goodness, I can't believe that you're thinking of this in a world that is being ripped apart, right? And, and you're talking about silly little things that make no difference. But anyway, um, Jesus is coming back one of these days. He's going to come back. Are we ready for that? Well, we might be ready, but is somebody else ready? Yes, the point is this, that we need to be a light in this world. We hear that so often, the salt of the earth, the light in this world. But a light needs to shine, people. I always get the illustration to my kids, you know. I, I, I lived in Holland for 10 years in, the, in a city called Philips, uh, Eindhoven, which is Philips City. You know, all the Philips products that you can buy here? Well, it started off there in that place. But Mr. Philips, he made, his first factory was a light bulb factory. And he made them for a purpose. He didn't make light bulbs so that people would buy them and then put it on the shelf somewhere so that people can just admire this beautiful piece of art, you know, with this little thing inside. And if you shake it, it sort of bounces up and down. 
You know, he didn't do that. The, the light bulb was, the function of a light bulb was to stick it in a socket and give it a little bit of electricity so that it would give light so that people could see in the darkness. How amazing is that? Well, same with us. Jesus has rescued us, loves us, and now he says, while you're still breathing, go out there, get out there and do it. I give you everything that you need. Right? But shine. And how do we shine? Well, a lot of people don't shine. A lot of Christians don't shine. But we need, this is why we need the Holy Spirit. Draw from him every day. God, here I am. I surrender my life to you. Fill me afresh, Lord God. Help me to be the person you want me to be in this world that so desperately needs Jesus. Help me to shine and show the people the way to, that will lead to you. Help me to show them that there is hope in this world. Instead of, you know, being, um, God knows that you need to go to work and pay the bills and all that sort of stuff, but God needs to be number one in our lives. And if he's number one in our lives, then we're hungry for him, no matter what. And then we, we want to be directed by him, by his Holy Spirit, to do whatever. You know, God, give us people that, will, you know, that we can bump into, or that, that you bring us to them, or them to us, or whatever, so that we can minister to them. And ministering doesn't mean to say that we have to grab our Bible and bash them over the head and tell them they're disgusting sinners and they're going to go to hell. Sometimes we have to do that, but usually that doesn't sort of build friendships really that way. There are other ways that we could do, right? So we've got to make other people ready as well, people. That's our responsibility, all of us. doesn't matter who you are, where you are in Christ. All of us. You and me. Amen? Thanks again, Ronnie. You're welcome. You're welcome. Been a pleasure anytime, to catch up. Thank you for having me. Today we have heard from Ronnie Haybauer. If you want to read Ronnie's book or know more about his work, visit livingwatersvillage.com. Thanks for listening. And thank you for joining us. This podcast is not sponsored by any group or organisation and does not seek or promote endorsements. Our motivation is simply inspiration, that you may be inspired by the spirit of the one true God, to know that the objective and narrative coexist, that the spiritual and physical are not separated, to increase in understanding and to walk in his way.